اعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم اللهم صل على محمد وعلى محمد السلام عليكم everybody and a milad an-nabi mubarak to all of you as we know this is the week of the wiladat of our holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wa sallam a very joyous joyous occasion a very happy occasion and so on behalf of all of us we like to extend our heartfelt congratulations to all of you on the wiladat of the greatest creation of allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and welcome to episode 4 of the poets of the household podcast where as always we discuss and explore different topics of poetry and what it means to us in relation to our holy prophet muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam and his holy household alayhim assalam and as always i'm joined with my co-host brother naqi rizvi naqi how are you doing brother Alhamdulillah, I'm doing great. Uh, Assalamu alaikum to everyone and Milad al-Nabi Mubarak as well. Mashallah, um, are, you, are you still in Montreal or are you, do you know English still? Uh, I, I'm trying to transition back into English. I'm like really into the French right now. But <laughs> I, I haven't finished my first cup of coffee and it just came back last night. So sorry if I'm uh, a little droopy. <laughs> That's okay. That's okay. That's okay. Mashallah, welcome back. Welcome back. Um, and folks, today... is a very special episode. Um we have the honor and privilege to be joined by a very special guest all the way from Adelaide, South Australia, Sister Radhia Rashid. Um for those who are familiar with Radhia, uh, you know how special of an episode this is going to be. For those who may be uh seeing and speaking and he- and will be hearing uh, Radhia for the first time, uh, Radhia is an educator, writer, and learner she's currently teaching secondary school english and humanities at playford college in adelaide south australia but has grown up in the toronto poetry scene currently she is channeling her poetic energies into her passion for integrating diverse and creative approaches in her everyday practices as a teacher she holds a ba in english and history from york university a masters in teaching from the University of Toronto and is completing a master of arts in Islamic studies from Middlesex University in London UK in the past she has enjoyed holding community workshops presenting at conferences and writing and performing spoken word poetry and personally i've had the honor to be a judge with her at different poetry slams so sister radia assalam alaikum and thank you so much for being with us here today Assalamualaikum salam thank you for having me it's such an honor to be here look forward yeah. to the conversation i feel like uh sorry go ahead as is radhi i was just going to say thank you for the introduction as well <laughs> no problem yeah. no problem uh, i was going to say uh anyone who's been in the toronto poetry scene or 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 has been in toronto for a while has has probably heard to radhi's uh, amazing poetry um and I, for me personally i actually was inspired uh from a lot of the spoken word poetry she used to do at at the Masumi Islamic Center and shout out to Masumi for always encouraging English uh poetry uh, in out. Toronto yeah yeah um <laughs> but i've seen i've seen i've seen you you know recite poetry uh uh from a very very uh, early stage where there wasn't many other reciters you know you were one of the trailblazers at least in the Toronto community uh, i want to know a little bit more about your own poetic journey what got you started into poetry what inspired you to start writing and performing your pieces what started everything yeah absolutely so i think for me personally um 
writing and English literature, it's always been my thing. Um, can trace it back maybe to the sixth grade where I started reading Harry Potter and just oh, really right. got into reading and the love for words in general. Um, you know, and then come maybe ninth grade around, um, I actually joined uh, a poetry club at my high school um, in which the, the leaders of that club, they were in grade 12 at the time, I was in grade nine, and they really served as mentors for me. Um, they would hold, you know, regular workshops every week uh, mm -hmm. for us, so we would all just as, you know, poets, and these were like Muslims and non-Muslims, of course, I went to a public school. Um, and, you know, we would just, we would just sit together, we would watch spoken word videos, they would, um, they somehow discovered spoken word in their own world, and they would teach it to us as, um, you know, high schoolers, and we would write together, we would critique each other, we would practice together, and it was just such a, such a, just such a bonding space, and such a grounding space for all of us, and we sort of formed our identity through that. Um, and then at my high school, we held uh, poetry slams. And that went on from grades nine to 12 and, and until I eventually became the head of that club when I was in grade 12. Um, wow. And it was that that passion developed through those high school years. And then alongside that, I was always, you know, English was always my favorite subject. And mm. um, I just loved writing and reading and that sort of thing uh, until university came and I decided to turn it into a career. So I did my English. Um, I did a major in English and history. Um, and then yeah, I studied it formally and now here I am teaching it. So I, I teach English at a middle and secondary level. Awesome. Um, yeah, and I think I've just throughout that whole process, I've just always carried poetry alongside with me. Right now, I think I, I told you guys that I'm going through a bit of a, a bit of a lull, if you will, yeah. um, with poetry, because I've just been focusing on, on other stuff like um, at more academic writing and things like that. Right. Right. That happens a lot. That that happens a lot, by the way. A lot of us go through a lull. So you're speaking to the choir over here for sure. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think poetry's just always held that special place in my heart since I was a teenager. So I think that's awesome. my journey. Yeah. What a great journey, mashallah, from grade six. Wow. That's uh that's pretty much where your roots got strong. That's that's amazing. That that's a that's a really a really fun story, a really great story to hear. Um now we kind of want to transfer the kind of transition the conversation into more of an academic and more of a kind of um i would say you know more of a uh, like where poetry is today when it comes to the al -Bayt. um you know specifically when it comes to poetry surrounding the al -Bayt, currently we see the english poetry scene like more or less piggyback off of other cultures and they trying to use that as inspiration, which technically probably isn't a, a bad thing, but they piggyback off of other cultures, regardless of where you're from, whether it's from the Middle East, South Asia, East Africa, where, wherever you're from. Um, and they kind of piggyback off, off of that and then they write based on that kind of culture and that kind of style. Whereas English poetry should be creating its own culture now. I think we're at a point where, you know, uh, we've, the eastern eastern poets and and the eastern style is there and it's great to piggyback off of but now i think we're at a point where we can create our own culture when it comes to english poetry surrounding the Hulbait. so what have you seen in regards to that um have you seen kind of transitioning into that if not how do you think that can happen how can how do you think we can create our own culture when it comes to english poetry and you know what can we do to improve on it yeah you know i think 
the reason that Eastern poetry has such an appeal with our Western Muslim and Shia audiences is, I think, because of the content primarily. Um, even though, you know, I, I cringe a bit sometimes when uh, Urdu poetry or Farsi poetry is translated into English because it doesn't reflect the, the style and the nuances that you get from the original languages. Mm -hmm. um, but when it's translated, something that it has that Western poetry some, and secular poetry doesn't have is that reference to God and spirituality. Um, mm -hmm. So I think oftentimes we take from there. But I think now that we as Western Muslims have been here for so long, have been in the West for so long, we have translated our faith and we've developed our faith um, indigenously in our own contexts. So I think we need to take that knowledge and that understanding and um, and and turn it into and and let poetry reflect that, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. um, Absolutely. That understanding. Um, as to how we can do that, I think a couple things come to mind. So one is I think it is important um, to study the Western greats um, and to see what there is to offer indigenously in the English language, even if the content doesn't reflect necessarily um, always God, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And then that do that for the style and the structure and the technique and all that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. And then as for producing our own content that reflects our sophisticated understanding of our faith, I think we as Muslims need to take that hand in hand with learning and understanding our faith a lot better. So, um, you know, reading a lot, engaging with, um, with, with our, with our faith, engaging with scholars and knowledge. And then through that process, the poetry and the creative will come naturally, if that makes sense. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. Mentioned. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I want to kind of, you know, you mentioned style structure and poetry and, you know, before we move on to our next question, Naki, I just want to ask one more thing. Um, and that is that, you know, I, I've had the honor and privilege to hear you, um, hear your poetry and hear you present your poetry. So I, I think I know what the answer will be to this question, but I want our audience to to hear it as well, is when it comes to structure and, and, and style and, and different poetics to be used, um, you know, the Eastern style is more known towards structure and meter and, and rhyme and things of that nature. But English is more uh, like free verse, I would say, spoken word, things of that nature. Um, so in, in, regards, in, in regards to creating our own culture, when it comes to English poetry for the Al-Hubayt, you know, which structure do you uh, do you kind of uh, encourage, I would say, and, uh, you know, if somebody is writing, you know, how could they, uh, you know, which structure should they kind of follow in regards to that? Which structure in terms of like spoken word versus written poetry is that? Yeah, like which, which one do you prefer? Like if, if we're creating our own culture, um, yeah. which, which one do you think we should go towards? So like, should we go towards more of a free verse spoken word or is it okay if we go towards rhyming? meter and weight and things of that nature or do you think it should be hybrid both like which one would you prefer somebody was to to write and, and if they are creating their own culture mm, mm. um well i don't know i think i actually think that it should be a mix of both to be honest mm -hmm. i think mm -hmm. that free verse is really like free verse spoken word is really important because it's very organic it's very natural uh, it's very emotional but it is important i think also to make sure to have that that's a little bit of that structure and that technique. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, in the terms of, in terms of uh, having some rhymes, some internal rhymes and end rhymes and uh, alliteration and metaphor and simile and yeah, allegory but... and all that sort of stuff. That right. is what brings sophistication to your poetry. 
Um, mm. Otherwise, I do think I do find it to be a bit superficial, if that makes sense. Mm. No, it makes sense. Definitely. Yeah. I, I also have like a follow up on, on what you were saying. Um, uh, I, I think you bring up a good point about reading more. And I, personally, I do feel like that's what helped me a lot to get over. I, I definitely used to write a lot of cringe poetry. And, and at, at that point, I was doing the same thing. I was just like, okay, like, let me, whatever I know is, is like Urdu poetry or Farsi poetry, for example. And then I'm going to try to do something similar in English. Um, and reading definitely expands uh, uh, your understanding of what exists in English poetry that you could use instead of having to like always create something new or different either. But uh, my question is around the creativity part as well. And oftentimes I see, uh, you know, a lot of the same metaphors are being used, for example, or a lot of the same type of emotional language is being used, which is not, uh, it's not wrong, right? I mean, uh, if this is the same emotion that someone is feeling, but, uh, but sometimes I do feel like it's, it's the default, the first thing that you think about, I'm just going to write that instead of like really thinking deeply about how I can make this creative or give a new perspective to this. Is it, how would you um, suggest to someone who's struggling with just coming up with original creative uh, ideas and thoughts in poetry of how could they, how they could improve that? Yeah, I mean, um, I actually, <laughs> I have some notes in front of me from uh, a workshop I did in the past where I actually wrote out some um, specific tips. So maybe I'll just pull from there. Um, I created tips based on uh, both the writing and the performance, if one is doing spoken word poetry, let's say. Um, when it comes to the writing, I think one big thing, top of my list, is always have a main idea. I know that when we were in high school, we were always taught, you know, make sure to have a, th when you're writing an essay, have a thesis statement. And everything you write has to relate back to that thesis statement. So personally, when I write poetry, I always like to make sure that all of my poems have that main idea, have that. This is what I teach my students as well, you know, like always have your main idea, your thesis statement. Um, and go, same goes for poetry, even if that main idea doesn't exist at the beginning, because I know the poetry, the creative process is very, again, organic. Mm -hmm. Later on when it develops, it is fine, but just make sure it's there by the time you're finished the poem. So that mm -hmm. your poem, your poem isn't all over the place, isn't rambly, isn't um, unengaging, but it always leads back to a main um, purpose, a main idea. Um, another tip I have uh, in front of me is that um, something I mentioned before, make sure you have uh, both what we call literary devices and sound devices. Um, and when it comes to oral, like spoken word, oftentimes there's more of an emphasis on the oral devices. So for example, um, uh, rhyme is a big one. Um, alliteration is another one. Also sound, volume, that sort of thing, but also uh, literary devices, of course. Um, what else, what else, what else? I'm just looking through my list. Um, Oh, sometimes I really like to use uh, thesaurus.com. Something when it comes to, you know, the sophistication of your poetry is a big, uh, is a big emphasis on vocabulary. Guilty, um, gu guilty as charged, guilty as charged. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it, it, it really makes your poem a lot deeper and more sophisticated. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then, you know, when it comes to the performance, things like, body language voice volume your your stage presence your flow absolutely mm -hmm. yeah. um going back to my what else did i say on my list repetition 
speed, um, don't overuse things, <laughs> but don't mm. underuse them either. And you know what? With all of these things, practice, 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 practice. Um, right. It will never come perfectly at first. You know, I mm. felt like before I could even come to a stage where I could be on stage, it took years, you know, where I felt I truly felt comfortable. Mm. Um, yeah, lots of practice. Those are, I guess, just some. That's great. Yeah. I think uh, I, I, like it's always like uh, it, it was surprising to me when I started like learning about the differentiation between like spoken word poetry versus page poetry. It's like a whole different ball game, a whole different set of techniques and tools that you have. Um, yeah. It's a performative art. Um, and, and yeah, it's, it's pretty cool that, you know, if someone is able to do both, uh, it's, it's a lot of hard work. I, I still am not able to master spoken word poetry at all, uh, for sure. Um, no, but I, yeah, go ahead. To cut you off, but I used yeah. to like when I taught my students. I used to always put this dichotomy of spoken word poetry versus page poetry. And I think as I evolved as a poet and in my teaching as well, I actually realized that sometimes that dichotomy can also be harmful because there is a lot of intermingling as well. So I think, yeah, just I think it's also important to remember that as well that not everything is in their own boundaries or in their own categories. If that mm -hmm. makes sense. Yeah, there's like a lot of overlap as well. Um, yeah, I, I want to move on to this uh, other question. It kind of stems from what you were talking about earlier as well. Um, how we, if we read the, the English giants, for example, right? And we are able to uh, adapt a little bit of their styles and how they write poetry and view poetry. Um, I think one, one benefit of this also is you're able to reach a wider audience. Um, so for example, if someone is, is still writing based off like, for example, Eastern structures or Eastern themes, or, or uh, style of writing, I think sometimes it becomes not accessible to maybe the wider non-Shiite audience, like for example, the wider Muslim audience, or even uh, non-Muslims as well. Uh, is there any like advice, or how do you think about um, writing poetry in a way where we're able to uh, have our poetry reach um, a much wider audience, right, where more people can appreciate it, where it's not specific or confined to a specific community uh, who has a specific understanding of things or context of things? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I, I mean, I, I think that it's let sometimes it's less about the wideness of who we're trying to reach and more about the, the breadth of how we're reflecting our own philosophy. Um, if we're just, for example, I mean, I love Fazal. I, it's, it's amazing. But that Fazal is going to stay superficial if it doesn't reflect the teachings of those who are being praised. Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, and it, that will naturally, once you know, we go beyond just the praise and go towards the teachings, that would naturally read, reach a wider audience as well because it's, it's more applicable, right? Mm -hmm. um, I don't know if that makes sense. No, it did. Definitely did. Yeah, so you're saying like teachings are more generic, right? Anyone can apply to those, but personalities, um, you might need more context uh, in there. That's why. Um, one thing I've seen uh, that I've really appreciated and tried to um, use in my own poetry is have a little bit of both, where it's like, you know, someone who has a context of what you're talking about, for example, Karbala, someone who has a context of, of the story of Karbala, you might include one or two little metaphors that allude to that. Um, so people who are, uh, who have that context or appreciate it, but you're also making it generic enough that someone who doesn't have the context might not fully get all the illusions, but they're still able to appreciate it for what it is. Is that is that kind of what you're uh, alluding to as well, or 
could you give like a, maybe a specific example um, of a of a good of, of a good way to do this? Yeah, I think at the end of the day, what did our imams teach? Um, I think they didn't want um, they wanted us to talk about God at the end of the day and about their teachings mm -hmm. and about their you know their their understanding of their faith so that there's a deeper connection to the faith. Um, even like, for example, if you look at the way the Quran promotes a, a message, it will often do so through stories, but the focus is not necessarily on the praise of the prophet itself, the prophet who's being spoken about, but more on the message and the content of the story and what the story reflects when it comes to, um, you know, society or God. And I think the same goes for our poetry that it's important to keep in mind that if we're doing if if we're praising um a figure in our faith that we're not just sticking to that praise but it's leading somewhere you know it's it has a point it has a message if that makes sense and the reason i say this is because i personally have seen a lot of poetry um and it has its place it has its audience it has its culture which is great but sometimes i feel that in a western context for a younger audience especially teens who are trying to figure out their faith and you know, understand what their place is in religion, they don't necessarily connect to just the pure fazile. You know, they, they sit there thinking, okay, what's the point of this? Where is this going? How does this relate to me or my problems, my identity, my God, you know? Um, and if they're not experiencing that understanding and that connection, we will lose them. So mm -hmm. I just think it's important to remember that fazile should have a, have have that purpose and should be oriented towards that purpose if if that makes sense yeah yeah I, what do you yeah i mean if, i mean if i was to bring it down to kind of our level like if i was to write a poem which talks about a family member of mine and just talked about the merits of him or her uh and you were you or nucky were to read that you'd be like okay this is nice but you couldn't really connect to that piece because that's my family member i i love that person right mm -hmm. whereas and, and similarly, if I was to write a poem about the fadail of the Ahlul Bayt and a non-Muslim or somebody who maybe doesn't see the Ahlul Bayt like we do was to read that piece, it won't have the same effect because they don't have the same belief as we do or they don't have that same love and attachment towards the Ahlul Bayt like we do. So we kind of have to bring it down to a level that is to their level, I would say. So if we were to write like if I was to write something about my family um, and if in, in order for that piece to resonate with you, it would have to be something that you have in common with my family member, like something that relates to your life to kind of bring you in. And so that you can feel the same love that I feel for my family member. Similarly, if I'm writing about Imam Ali alayhi salam or the Ahlul Bayt and their, and, and, and their merits and their sirat, their path, then if I'm trying to attract somebody from the Western world, the non-Muslim world, then I have to write it in a way which will be at their level and will be common to them. Then it'll kind of have an effect, bring them in. And then when they hear the, and then once they have that attraction, that love towards the Ahlul Bayt, then ultimately, who knows, become a member of the path of the Ahlul Bayt. Then when they hear Fadayal of the Ahlul Bayt, it'll have much more of an impact. So I think if we, if, if we do it in that way, that has a greater impact. Like, like in order to to get to the to Z, we have to start from A type of thing. You know what I mean? So 
Yeah. I think if we go around that level, that 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 path, that might have a, bit, a bigger effect. One thing uh, I, I do want to sorry, go ahead, Radhya. Right, right, yeah. Um, no, I was just going to say that um, I also think that it's not just about attracting non-Muslim audiences. Even if we look at our own Shia audiences, even even for them, especially if they don't already have the love of the Ahlul Bayt, we're not going to attract them unless we connect the Ahlul Bayt to something deeper, um, which is our faith, which is our deeper philosophies, you know. Um, if that makes sense. So it's not just about, you know, attracting the non-Muslims, even our own communities right. will be bored <laughs> if we don't go beyond the surface. If yeah, no, sense. just a question was more towards non, like, I think, I think the way Naki presented the question was towards the bleak, towards a Western world. So I was just trying to connect it with that. Like the assumption is there when it comes to Shias, maybe we shouldn't make the assumption, I guess. Um, and we should look in our own backyard before we, look into other homes but uh just the way that he was the way he formulated the question is that's why i present it that way that's why what, one thing i do find interesting though especially as a, a characteristic of modern uh english poetry or the modern era of english poetry is that there is a lot of uh, heavy use of uh illusion so for example t.s Eliot does this a bunch right and a lot of times this this illusion is to uh, is to um greek mythology right or different characters in greek mythology um, or it could also be biblical uh, references, right? And a lot of times it's the illusion is just that they mention it and then because the person has context, they might understand it or if they don't have context or you're reading the poetry, you're like, let me go and look into what this thing means. And I think we could, it, 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 there is some merit for us to, within our own English poetry, if you want to reach that wider audience, whether it's the Muslim, broader Muslim audience or non-Muslim audience to be able to like create some of these illusions and start to develop a little bit of the wonder behind these personalities as well, because obviously when we come to the personality, then we get all the cheap teachings as well. So there is some merit to also talking about keeping the personalities in there, um, but in a way where it's not, you they don't have to have all the context, right? Um, so there's something that we could explore in our poetry as well, I think. Yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of um, reference in Western poetry, for example, to original sin or Adam and Eve, you know, that sort of thing. So I, I completely get it. Like, but then they they'll put the message first, and then they'll yeah. make the references. Yeah, or so, it's like intertwined, so you can't even separate the two in a way sometimes. Exactly, exactly. So we, you know, we can do the same in our poetry as well. So I know that um, you've already kind of given your tips in regards to poetry, and which was great because I felt like I was uh, one of your students. I felt like we got a glimpse into one of your into in one of your classrooms, and I felt like I was I should call you Miss Rashid instead of Ravia. Uh, which was which was really neat um and that's that was great those those tips that you were giving were, were great but you know um any kind of unless you've given all of them which is fine i mean if you don't have anything else to add which is fine but i just want to touch base with you one more time in regards to that and see if you had any kind of final words of advice towards any um people who are thinking about writing poetry or have starting writing poetry and are looking to improve any kind of final tips in regards to that? any final piece of advice outside of what you've already mentioned? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I do have a few thoughts that sort of come to mind. I think personally, what really helped me when I was younger is um, not looking at poetry as a solo act. So finding a group, finding a collective um, that you can form your identity in. And I know you guys are doing this, which is just amazing. I can, can you plug our, 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 our <laughs> Poets of the Household here? 
Yeah, yeah. And I, I think the reason it's so good is because it with any art, you will not move forward, you will not develop unless you have a talking board, unless you have other people to share it with, to call to to um to present your poetry in front of and get critique on and and advice from uh, to learn from each other it's just it's so important i remember even um when i was a kid i would have like one or two members of my family who before any big event that i would perform at i would always read my poetry in front of them and uh, get that really critical feedback um and it was so important for me like i wouldn't be able to go on stage without that feedback first mm. um and that can only also develop when you form that deep bond with the people you're sharing your poetry with um and you feel safe enough to be able to get that feedback from them where mm. it's not, there's no judgment or criticism it's just pure learning mm. um yeah right. so that's a big surprise i think something else is um also don't ever be afraid to step out of your comfort zone mm. i think um that comes through both in, uh, when it comes to stage fright you know performing the more you do it the better you'll get at it even if you are horrible at first mm -hmm. um it will come and you learn through your mistakes um that goes for the writing itself as well it's through the process of making those mistakes that you get better um mm -hmm. and then also don't be afraid to step out of your comfort zone in terms of trying new things in your poetry as well mm -hmm. right even if even if you are you know, you're trying to do something, maybe you're trying, you have a really creative extended metaphor that you're trying to go for and it's just not working out. Mm. Keep trying, just keep, you know, doing different things, uh, getting advice from people, uh, taking a look at examples online, reading poetry, listening to poetry, and just keep trying new things and, you know, you, you will get better. So step out of your comfort zone. Yeah, those are just some Marshall. big things that... Yeah. That's great. That's great. And one more thing, Naki, before we, we yeah. I go to you, I just want to make one point is that when we first started the Poets of the Household and we kind of uploaded our first clip on Instagram and uploaded our first episode, I just want to let our audience know that Sister Radhi was probably the first one who messaged us in regards to support and, and, and her encouragement and that she really liked the initiative. So, you know, her since we've started this, although we're still in the in in the first steps, the baby steps of this journey. Um you know, she's part of the journey because she was the first one to message us. So, you know, it went a long way when we, when we saw your message, Sister Radia. So we just want to say thank you for that. We appreciate it, uh, first and foremost. Secondly, uh, in regards to just that, that that point that you mentioned in regards to, you know, um, don't be afraid of, of, of writing something, you know, keep trying on the metaphor. And that's that's really important because I think, like, you know, we have, we kind of come from a background already because we come, because, you know, we're first generation, some of us are second generation. So our parents are from somewhere else, right? So we, the background that we have is we heard poetry from a different language. So we kind of have those kind of uh, mannerisms and ethics uh, that come into English. So, you know, we kind of know what's off limits and what's off, what's not. And maybe some things that we talk about in English has not talked was not spoken about in our mother language, but that doesn't mean we can't try it in English. Because the, the key thing is that, you know, we don't want to be disrespectful. And I think internally we know that, hey, if I write about this, you know, this doesn't feel right. I might be crossing limits. But at the same time, if you don't think you're crossing limits and you think it's new, go for it. Just because it wasn't spoken about in our uh, culture, uh, the, the poetry in regards to our culture, doesn't mean it can't be spoken about in English. And that kind of ties back to our conversation about creating our own culture.
chapter in English, right? Bring about new ideas, new thoughts, because this is an ocean. The Ahlul Bayt are an ocean. You know, we were kind of swimming in one corner here where we have an entire ocean that's that's ready for us to swim towards, right? So there's no harm in actually going about trying to swim in that location because, I mean, maybe I'm speaking just for myself here, but I know I've kind of always just try to mimic those thoughts and those kind of uh, ethics and morals when it comes to our mother tongue's poetry and try to bring that to English. Whereas, you know, English is actually can bring its own thoughts and own, own ideas because it's its own language. The way that we present poetry is completely different from any other language. So that doesn't mean that we can't have those same thoughts and ideas in, into English. So I just want to make that one point. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, it was really benefited from all the advice and tips uh, you presented today, Sister Adia. And hopefully we you can continue to provide those tips and advice in the future from the Poets of the Household platform, where one of the goals is to educate uh, about different literary devices and techniques. Uh, but for someone, last question I guess I have is like for someone who, uh, you know, we've talked a lot about making this like an, uh, not a, maybe an academic effort, but uh, a well well-informed um, art, right? As in like, you, you, you need to start use, use techniques that exist out there or devices that exist out there. Um, a lot of us don't know about this. A lot of us are kind of like just starting off kind of free, free, uh, freestyling this. What tips do you have for people who don't have time to go get like a master's degree in English, for example, or go back to school and have that formal education? How can they like learn it and, and, and excel in this craft and have a more educated approach towards writing poetry? Um, like what, would, what would your tips be? I guess that's the final question I have. Yeah, I mean, I think that's a great question. Um, when I was in high school, I didn't have a, a bachelor's degree in English. <laughs> you know, I mean, I loved English. Yes, it was, yeah, I was strong at it, but I didn't study it at a university level. And I was still good enough to be able to present on the stage and beyond just, you know, presenting for people, for myself use it as a form of self-expression and self-development. Um, and the way I did that, if I were to think back, that collective was really important, getting, uh, learning from other people. Mm. Um, and also I used to spend hours in rabbit holes, just listening to spoken word videos on YouTube um, and you know, reading poetry. And um, again, I, I think that again, goes back to also learning from other people, learning from what's out there. Um, that can be done informally or formally. So I used to just listen and replicate, listen and replicate and rinse and repeat. Um, but sometimes I would do it formally. Like I would listen to videos and then take notes on what I think they're doing well, what I think they could improve on. Um, I would try it in my own poetry and get feedback from others. Um, I do think like, I know you said for people who can't, you know, maybe study it formally, but there's, way, there's so many ways to study informally. And I think it is important to also remember that you do have to work at it. You do have to do a little bit of thinking and practicing and studying. Yeah. Um, it, doesn't, it doesn't just come. Like, yes, some people have more of an aptitude for it, but you have to work at it, even if it's without a degree. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I think um, those two main things, reading a lot, a lot of examples and listening to a lot of examples, uh, getting, uh, learning from other people, um, critiquing each other criticizing each other etc um, i think those are the two main things yeah. okay cool and now uh, for the moment we've all been waiting for uh we'd love if you could recite some of your own poetry for us and and uh end the show with that mm -hmm, absolutely 
Um, okay, so I chose a poem that I think is a practical example of some of the stuff I was talking about when it comes to um, going beyond Fazal and trying to reflect the deeper messages. Um, so my poem is about uh, Jihad al-Akbar on mm. more of a personal level. Um, and I, if you'll notice, it's there's no explicit mention of Karbala, but the conceptual links can be made. Um, and maybe you'll see that after I finish reciting, but let's just get started. Bismillah. There's a mountain of sand in front of him. Over the mound, past the burden, is a lake in the midst of a desert. So every day he takes his shovel and with resolve he tunnels through. He persists when one day he wakes up to realize the mountain never did exist. Mm. His desires had held him and squeezed until he broke every bone in his body, trying to escape before realizing he never actually fit into the tiny space. Walls of sand surrounded him, and he curled up into what felt safe whims, felt safe pleasure, felt safe life, felt safe when he didn't make sacrifices for his faith. But with every precaution, his protection became his prison until there was a mountain of sand engulfing him and his thirst had risen. But the hill was fake. And he was attached to its existence, even though he was desperate for a better fate, distracting from his potential to achieve what is great, afraid to free himself from the deceptive sand that whispered songs of temptation, blocking the view from the wider land, afraid to admit that the materialism was just an illusion because his soul was filled with offenses and this world with nothing but delusion. But then he looked past the see-through dirt and in God's reality found liberation, realized the sand was from his soul, so drank from the lake of divinity in desperation. He found strength in freeing himself from society's creations and found sweetness in the taste of spiritual elevation. He thought ego was freeing, having a superior identity, but how freeing did it feel to absolve in what is godly? He is every believer who tread on the path and found success, the rare breed of human that broke iron bars as they struggled through the test, every warrior who bravely battled their own nafs and found the victory that even the angels couldn't touch, the worshiper that freed himself of the chains that come with being human and evolved to fly free from attachments and illusions. He understood the greatness of who we come from and that we're bound by who we are and liberated by what we can become. We were created to strive for this. We were born with a craving for the sun after a rainfall. But for now, we'll keep digging. The mountain still looks tall. SubhanAllah. MashaAllah, MashaAllah, SubhanAllah. Very beautiful poem. Very beautiful. I mean, we can see that everything that you talked about today was put into action into that poem. I mean, we saw, MashaAllah, your metaphor was consistent from beginning to end. Your literary devices, your sound devices, you know, the inflection and, and everything that you utilize in regards to metaphor, simile, 
imagery all 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 wrapped into one mashallah is, is very very intriguing and and mashallah i know if i was a non-muslim i would want to read more for sure that's that's great that's a great tablif piece i would i would say for sure mashallah thank you so much for sharing that yeah thank you thank you for the appreciation yeah no problem no problem well um you know sister radia thank you so much for being with here with us today this was a very I would say enlightening episode because you kind of gave us a different perspective being a teacher and being an educator and being in the school system and how to teach poetry. So again, this was a very, as I told you, as I told everybody, this was going to be a very special episode and you did not disappoint. So thank you so much for being with us here today. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you for having me and accommodating the the big time difference and everything. Um, alhamdulillah, I really, I really enjoyed this session. So thank you. No problem. No problem. Again, thank you so much for being with us here today. And everybody, that concludes another episode of the Poets of the Household podcast. Again, I told you it's going to be a very special episode. So please tune in for future episodes. Again, on behalf of myself and Naki, thank you for being with us here today. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.